0: Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live, and tonight we have a very, very special guest, Stephen Scioto, the producer, writer, director of the epic Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Stephen, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing fine, and thank you for asking me. I've seen
0: your show. I think it's really a great show. It's good to be a part of it. Well, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. And... In my mind, you're a legend. You're an icon. And I got to ask you, right off the bat, take us back to the late 80s, okay? You wrote this. Now, we're going back to a time where independent filmmaking was not as prevalent as it is today. Uh, everything pretty much had to go through studios. So, you wrote killer clowns from out of space. And the first question I have to ask you, was that the original title uh, for this film? Oh, yes. It, it always
1: was killer class from outer space.
0: So Um, when you wrote it, uh, did you, did a studio already, you know, pick it up? How did the process work?
1: Well, I'll try to make the long story as short as I can, but it's interesting, the journey that it took, um, of all places we were working at fairytale theater, Shelley Duvall's fairytale theater back in the eighties and, um, we're making special props for the show. And the producer, Fred Fuchs, knew somebody who had money ah. uh, to do some low budget features. And he asked us if we had an idea. And I had this idea, Killer class from Outer Space. So we went and pitched it to Transworld Entertainment. Now at this time, the, uh, the video market, the VHS market was kind of booming and, uh-huh. and places like Blockbuster were, were starting to really take off. So Transworld was looking for an outlet for videos. So they were producing a lot of kind of low-budget films that they could have a limited theatrical release and then ship it off to uh, video stores. So that was the opportunity that presented ourselves. You're right. Independent films were really difficult to get financed before Mm -hmm. that. But this was a magic time uh, because of this blockbuster, this uh, this video, these video stores that were opening up. So we just, uh, I guess we didn't even have a script. My brothers and I went in there. With a a maquette, I sculpted a maquette of a clown with a ray gun, and my brother Charlie did a poster of one sheet, and we had like a one-page treatment, and we pitched it, and uh, Moshe Diamant, the executive we pitched it to, said, I could sell that. He said, I think he just liked the title, but didn't have any idea what we were really talking about, and we sold it in the room. That That was it, our first pitch, our first sale, and we got it.
0: That is awesome. That is so awesome, and... You know, technology is great, and the younger generation today with streaming and all the outlets, the overwhelming content, the the Blockbuster days, you know, which you and I remember very well, there was something special about walking into a Blockbuster and going to various sections where your content was limited to basically what was on the shelves. Mm-hmm. In today's world, you have all these different streaming networks, that have thousands and thousands of TV shows, movies, and documentaries, and on and on. It's like we're drowning in so much content. So I got to ask you, was Killer Clowns a direct VHS movie? No, it wasn't.
1: Um, actually, they, uh, they peddled it around town, around the country. They made, I think, maybe 65 prints. And each weekend, they would open it in a different city. Uh, Portland, Los Angeles, Austin, Chicago, and it would peddle it around. So it did get a theatrical release across the country, but I'm telling you, it was kind of disappointing. Um, They promoted it pretty well in each city, but I remember here in Los Angeles, it showed for the week, and they have we have the LA Weekly, which was like a, a local newspaper that comes out and kind of promotes entertainment activities in in the city, and it was pick of the week, and uh, LA Weekly came out on Wednesday, called it pick of the week, a movie, a must see movie, and then we closed on Thursday, so <laughs> it was no matter what what it did, they just had it. The idea was just to distribute it around the the, the country really fast, which fulfilled the theatrical release for mm-hmm. the. VHS distribution deal. So I think they got like a million bucks for the VHS sale. So I don't think it was a real serious theatrical release. It was just as per the contract to get it um, to get the the deal with the VHS
0: companies. I'll tell you what, I've spoken to a lot of filmmakers and for them to get the kind of release killer clowns, is the way you just described it, that would kill to get that uh, release in a city, at least for a weekend throughout the country. So that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Now, what happened once the movie did hit stores like Blockbuster and independent video stores? Well, I think that's where we found our audience.
1: It was through the VHS distribution, Blockbuster, and all those video stores, but also USA Cable, mm. ran. And they ran the hell out of it. And it was always showing. And I think between USA Cable and VHS, it just got really popular. And in fact, I, it was reported that they, they couldn't find uh, copies of it on the shelf. People would steal it. They'd take it out, take it out again and again. And then would steal it. And they'd have to buy more until I think the original uh, VHS distribution deal went. It, it ended. And there weren't any copies of it. And people were uh, buying um uh, Spanish versions yeah from, uh, Mexico, from South America, because <laughs> it was so rare to find one.
0: No so- I got to ask you, uh, when the success really set in uh, upon releasing in VHS, you, this being your creation, your baby, did it surprise you as well? Oh, yes, it was a big surprise.
1: Look, uh, my brothers and I tried to make a film that we wanted to see. It had all of the scares and the laughs and the monsters that we would love to see in the movie. So it was really just a uh, like a fan film for us. So I'm really surprised and pleased that it's kind of lasted this long that the people that saw it in the 80s really liked it. And then they got married. They had kids. They showed it to their kids. Those kids liked it. They showed it to their teenage friends and then they got grew up so like it's like multiple generations three generations of fans that have grown and i i i'm so surprised and I i can't believe it
0: so 33 years later and i always tell people history is the biggest critic that is history time will put a film in its place and uh killer clowns from Outer space has definitely been judged by history and it's in one of those classic categories uh how do you feel that even today's generation with the internet and yes, things have changed so much over the last 20 years that this movie is still attracting uh today's generation and they're watching it i'm floored i mean it
1: is is more popular now than it's ever been before they've launched merchandising halloween masks and costumes and T-shirts all over the place and poster art. Uh, I I never thought it would catch on like that. Again, it was something that we you know it's it's not the greatest movie in the world. It's just kind of like we just we thought it was funny. We just we we think it's pretty funny. It uh, and I people respond to it. You know what it is? It's a it's like a, a family horror film. It's mm-hmm. like a a good uh, a primer to. Horror films. If you if you're a parent and you want to kind of get your kid into, let's say, watching the horror genre, Uh Uh it's kind of funny, not too scary, not too visceral in its violence, and it's like a fun time. And you can kind of pop into it at any time in the film, and there's always something going on. Exactly, kind of entertaining. And I think that's where it's found its audience. It's it's kind of a family friendly kind of horror film.
0: So let me ask you. You said it got picked up with the treatment that you pitched on single try it got picked up now it comes to you actually writing the script uh was it like an oh shit moment for you like i got to put together now a script for this treatment that i pitched um how easily did the script come to you
1: uh well the, the original idea came from me imagining what i thought what was the scariest thing i could imagine and for me, it was driving down a lonely mountain road and having a car pass me and seeing a clown there. And then imagine that it wasn't in a car. It was kind of floating. Uh, so it kind of, that's what started. That was the image that I, that I came up with. So I got together with my brothers and we gave ourselves a deadline. We had to write five pages a day, 25 pages a, a week, and we wrote it in a month <laughs> and we just banged it out. And it was so much fun. I kind of cheated. I, I. The spine of the story, the narrative of the story, is uh, based on a film that I really love, a classic sci-fi film, The Blob, the original oh, Blob with Steve McQueen. Of course. And to me, it's, it's classic. It's teenagers trying to warn an unsuspecting adult community that there are aliens attacking. And that's what we wanted as the base. So if, you, if you're if you familiar with The Blob oh, yeah. and you look oh, at our film, it is that through line from the beginning with the farmer finding uh, finding the uh the aliens yeah. and then the kids trying to uh uh convince the the adults it's the same through line kind of mixed it up a little bit but uh but instead of a monster we have these killer clowns exactly. and writing it was a blast we just we tried to imagine every circus gag we could think of any carnival motif and put a deadly twist on it what we call candy coated kills <laughs>
0: Now, clowns, throughout the decades, and as much today as it was back in 88, they are still like the perfect vessel for a scare, okay? Uh, Taking us back to the 80s, would you say killer clowns uh, not started, but picked up the trend with clowns in horror and making them into something more scary and presenting that to the audience
1: well i think there's always been an element of clowns that have been scary uh you can think back as far as Lon cheney
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, more frightening than a clown after midnight um uh, stevie king had it although I'd, i hadn't read the book or anything but i think we're kind of tapping into the same thing yeah. it's that dichotomy, that the contrast of something that's supposed to be friendly but is malevolent and that's what we tried to do and one of the main ideas was sort of like a a comment on society you have uh, like ronald mcdonald and these clowns and you don't know who these people are you don't know what's behind that mask and yet you very willfully just give your child to these people you sit them on their lap you leave them at parties and you don't really know who these people are exactly. it's that kind of unsettling fear that not that i have a phobia but i just never felt really comfortable around Harlequins clowns gestures and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's
0: it's a real thing uh, I forgot what the actual diagnosis is, but uh clown phobia and I'm I don't know what the I knew it I just can't remember it right now. I think it's phobia. Yeah, there's an actual real uh, Recognized uh, phobia that is recognized by you know mental health professionals around the world and it's very real and there are people that are just absolutely terrified of clowns and the horror genre has really tapped into that and, you know, taking it to extreme levels. Now, when you look at uh, horror movies today with clowns, um, do you think they've taken it to an extreme, uh, or do you like where they've taken clown horror movies?
1: Uh, well, it's, uh, I don't want to critique. Of my personal opinion uh I think what they've done, they've taken the clown as a as a as an icon, and pretty much just gave him a chainsaw yeah. or gave him an axe. And to me, that's not really tapping into what is the the, the history of clowns, uh, comedy, the art, and 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 all of the history that clowns have. So to me, it's it's kind of a cheap version of just using the image of a clown and just making it a serial killer. Exactly. There, there are some films. I mean, the, the film Clowns. I think it's the director's name about. A cursed costume that a father puts on uh, at at his kid's birthday party, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's cursed, and he starts turning into this demonic clown. I I, I think that's a, a more clever way of dealing with, let's say, the, the the clown as as a horror figure.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I think what uh, somebody wrote it. It's a color, colorophobia. That's the what the fear oh, oh. of clowns are. Uh, And then you have real life where the infamous serial killer who was it, John Wayne Gacy, I forget who it was, would dress up as a clown. And, you know, so there you have a little bit of reality blending in with fiction. And it just heightens people's anxiety and fear, which ultimately leads them to actually watching these movies.
1: No, I I think you're absolutely right. What I think it's uh, what I kind of backed into, apparently accidentally or on a personal basis, uh, uh, I think people do have this innate fear or a discomfort around these characters. I know when children are around clowns, um, I've talked to to psychiatrists and things like that. And and, uh, it seems like a child can see the, the character of the person behind the mask. They look in the eyes and the eyes reveal the character. And a lot of times there's this disconnect between what the Performer inside is communicating, and then with the mask, the exterior is communicating, and that disconnection is unsettling. Yeah, uh, and uh, you have somebody like a John Wayne Gacy. You have people that kind of prey upon that. Uh, I can see where people can feel uncomfortable. I mean, exactly. I can remember when I was young. My story was Ringling Brothers and Bottom and Bailey in Madison Square Garden when I was like five or six years old. I remember seeing the clowns, and they would come up to the stands, and they did that bucket gag where they had water in it, water in it, and then they put confetti in it, and they throw it at you. And this clown was right next to me, and I felt uncomfortable. Like, he's really big, he's tall, and he's in my personal space. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable, and yet everybody around me is laughing. My parents are laughing, my brothers are laughing, and I'm, and I'm feeling this disconnect. And, and I think that's kind of at the core of, like at least my Discomfort, yeah, it's it's, it's it's a disconnect.
0: Do you think that experience and writing the script was a way of I don't know. This might sound weird, like therapy for you, and that discomfort of that memory at Madison Square Garden, and this was your way of uh, sort of working through it. Nope. Okay. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that was really. a stretch. That no, was a no, stretch.
1: True. I remembered it because. I mean, when I thought about what I thought was the most frightening to me, it was a clown. So I guess at the at the core, it might connect, Mm -hmm, but it really mm -hmm. was taking that premise and then just spinning the hell out of it. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. I I like horror movies. I like monster movies. I'm not really into the the visceral horror and the violence to women. I never was at an effects company. We never got involved in those kind of movies. It's just I found it kind of distasteful personally, but it was always monsters like a monster can kill somebody. But a guy with an axe and a knife
0: slitting somebody's head off. Yeah, for me too. I mean, that doesn't scare me. It could be entertaining if it's done properly. And there are, you know, I got to tip my hats. There are a lot of filmmakers who can still make slasher movies and make them interesting and entertaining. But as far as scare, uh, no, it doesn't scare me. It's just a lot of blood, guts, and gore. And that's all there is. And when you sort of dig... Below all of that, you find out there's no real story there. It's just uh, uh, 90 minutes of blood and guts.
1: And and shock. I I mean, it's uh, to me, those films are more real. I mean, a person with a knife to me is much more frightening Mm -hmm. than a clown Mm -hmm. with a popcorn gun or a monster like a creature from Black Lagoon. I mean, those are fantasies. So you could have fun at the movies. You could leave there with a good experience. But the other ones are so visceral, so realistic and violent that the feeling I'm left with, is not something that I want to pay 15 bucks for. Exactly.
0: Just- exactly. Now, this is your script. You produced it. You directed it. You wrote it. Uh, at any point in the last 33 years, have you retained the rights or have you sold them? <laughs> yeah. It's called the first picture.
1: Uh, <laughs> no, no. It's one of those deals where it, um, there were certain terms that we would not own it. It was work for hire. I got paid. My director's fee, I got paid for writers. My, bro- my brother, Charlie, co-wrote it with me. And my brother, Ed, who produced it with us, he-, he did some writing with us as well. So we got our fees, and that was pretty much it. We knew going in what we were getting involved in. We yeah. would have no rights. Nothing would be done with it. Um, so even at this point right now, we don't see any merchandising dollars. We don't see any any money from it except, you know, my yeah. uh, director's guild. It was writer's guild and director's guild, so I got into the union. So I see residuals. That's I still get residuals on the film. It
0: must be nice. Uh,
1: but but that that was it. And and interesting, our first pitch was so great. Oh yeah, that's great. I haven't sold the film since. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and we pitch all the time. It's like my <laughs> occupation. I, I've done television uh, and I've done other things. But as far as a feature, nope. Look at that. that's that was the one and only.
0: <laughs> We're still trying. But it was a know? good one. It was a very good one. How does it make you feel that it's actually a part of? Uh, Universal's Halloween Horror Nights. I mean, how does that make you feel?
1: That was great. I mean, after all these years, we, we've noticed the fans love the film. And we go to conventions, and we have a really solid fan base. But when, So when Universal said they wanted to do a scare zone in Florida, we said, fine, fine, let, let's do that. And it was so successful that in the subsequent year, they did the actual haunt in mm-hmm. both Florida mm-hmm. and Universal. Which was really great. And I'll tell you, we're both great, but Hollywood was really fantastic. I mean, for me to walk through that maze, it was like reliving a live version of the movie. And I was blown away. And we made sure that people from MGM, who control the rights, yeah, I wanted to make sure that they went there so they could not only see the audience, but they would see that there is this, this uh, fan base, this crowd. You see, what happens, it's, it, I guess it's earned a kind of a cult status right now oh yeah but when you're going for funding and financing for films uh the bean count is the 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 financial people don't don't really count that it's not a big enough market Mm -hmm. it didn't have a theatrical release in europe so when they asked for the international numbers the box office there is none Mm -hmm. and the box Mm -hmm. office in the us is pretty poor because it was that kind of like direct to video type approach Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. without any real box office to tout Nobody ever really wanted to do the sequel, which I'm telling all the fans, we've been pitching it since we made the film. 35 years now, we've been pitching the goddamn sequel. Um, but now with Universal, with uh, uh, I guess the, the company Fright fright something that did all the costumes and it's a cocoon gun and everything, that's kind of excited, I think, the people at MGM to see that this is a franchisable property. So we're looking forward to actually doing something. But don't get me wrong. I don't control it. I'm saying okay. this is a hope and wishes. Don't well, have people say. That's oh, why I
0: asked you about the it. rights uh, thing. I-, I wanted to know. And thank you for clarifying that it's MGM. Now, for me, there are there are movies that should never be remade. This is one of them. And luckily, it has not been remade. Uh, are you happy, or uh, would you like to see? a reboot of Killer Clowns from Outer Space?
1: Well, I'd like to see one. Believe me, over the last 30 years or so, we've had conversations. We've come close a couple of times putting something together, but Hollywood works in a glacial pace and Mm -hmm. deals fall apart because of musical chairs of the executives. Mm -hmm. It hasn't really happened. Uh, But I I do think that a reboot would be great. It would be interesting. It's, It's like in the 80s, it was more of an innocent time mm-hmm. where the premise of clowns was if you did see a clown performing at night, you'd go up to them and with curiosity, hoping to be entertained and then be that malevolent twist that they'd kill you. Now though, in this new century, I think people are much more wary of clowns because of the films mm-hmm. and shows so could you do a killer clowns where you'd have an innocent audience that would be easy prey um, but given that That challenge. No, we have ideas. We have so many cool storylines that we want to pursue, and actually, uh, 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 um, a multi-episode series. You know.
0: Now, do you think it can be redone with the same lighthearted, like you called it, entry into horror with a family way in this uh, time, or do you think if it's done? it would be done way more into the horror extreme.
1: Yeah, I think because of the tastes, even as an entry film, I think it needs to be a little bit more, not violent, but just more visceral. Mm-hmm. I think we pulled a lot of the punches that we would like to go a little crazier, a little bit more wild with the, with the, the violence and the kills. But again, the, the reaction we want, we want a scare uh, uh, from the audience, but then we want to have them laugh. I think laughing is a good safety valve for horror. Mm-hmm. So no matter how violent the kill might be, it's kind of like a chuckle at the end. I think the most violent kill we had in the original Clowns was uh, John Vernon as Officer Mooney when he was yeah. played as a dummy. And you didn't see anything. It really was a sound effect in the pantomime that, w- that really made it seem like this guy was being kind of eviscerated from behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, I mean, we'd like to go into that realm but still, again, it's the absurdity, it's the juxtaposition of something so outrageously stupid <laughs> that becomes deadly and kills you in a comical way. I mean, that's the
0: balance that we would like to still maintain. Exactly, I think that's what contributes to the original still being such a success. Now, you personally, have you always been a horror fan your whole life?
1: Oh, oh I think so, yes. I can remember way back, uh, I was born in the Bronx, and fellow new
0: yorker i'm from queens oh really oh that's fun uh
1: yeah for me i saw the original king kong the black and white version Mm -hmm. and when i saw Mm -hmm. that gorilla walking down the streets of new york i mean that was my neighborhood we had elevated train tracks right down the block so when i saw him smashing them it was this real interesting reality it was fantasy but reality because it was like my neighborhood and it made a big impact on me so my older brother Charlie and I, we just watched monster movies. It was all uh, the Universal horror films, uh, Willis so O'Brien stop motion, Ray Harryhausen's films, uh, and then even the, 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 the Toho productions, Godzilla, Rodan. Oh, uh, wow. It's funny. Even as kids, we we thought there was something different in those movies from, let's say, King Kong and Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms and Twenty Million Miles to Earth. We liked the stop motion. Mm-hmm. creatures because i thought they moved more realistically the more dramatic but we loved them and we just couldn't get enough
0: what was your favorite monster movie that you can remember oh wow i mean to, to me the classic
1: is king kong mighty joe young those films were amazing well you're from new york you remember a million dollar movie yes, yes. yeah they used to play it like three times a day yeah. on the weekend during thanksgiving and christmas they used to run King Kong, and if you missed any part of it, they'll run it again.
0: Now, uh, we, for me, all- for me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but for me, King Kong was uh, the one that—not the original, but the Jessica Lange one mm-hmm. uh, in New York. Uh, the bridge that—that's the Queensboro Bridge that connects Manhattan to Queens, and uh, in that version, King Kong climbed uh, the World Trade Center. As opposed to the Empire State Building. Talking about King Kong and it being one of your favorites, is the original your favorites? Or it's, you know, uh, they just came out with uh, Kong versus Godzilla a couple of years ago. How do you like, you know, the arc that the King Kong movies have taken over the decades, all the way up to like the latest one, which was Kong versus Godzilla?
1: Yes. Well, you know, for me, the original is always going to be the best. I mean, it, it, it's I think it's at the age you see it that mm-hmm. really makes the impression. So it's difficult. For, so the, the new versions, uh, even Peter Jackson's film, as great as it was, did not really hit me the same way. But I'll tell you this, I think any one of those films like the 70s version, Peter Jackson's version, and even uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong, I think the audience The young audience that watched it for the first time, being introduced to the character, I think might have been affected in the same way that I was. I mean, the latest one, what a kick-ass action film that was. Oh, my God. And in the theater, wow. Yeah. And so if I was, let's say, I was really young when I saw the original Kong, but if I was, let's say, 10 or 12 and I saw that film, I'd be hooked. It delivered not as much in the story and the characters that was kind of light but I don't think I really care just watching
0: the monsters themselves like between Godzilla and Kong for me I'm Kong all the way it sounds like you're the same way
1: yeah yeah
0: I love Godzilla as well I mean Godzilla is a, is a badass but Kong uh, because gorillas are so similar to human beings and and it's like you can relate to King Kong as a person. You know, and especially in these remakes in the last one, Kong versus Godzilla, where Kong learns sign language and he's able to communicate with that little girl. Do you like those kind of aspects that are added in today's films that change up from the originals? I think so.
1: I, I mean, I can't imagine remaking Kong and remaking it exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. The sensibilities are different. I think people expect maybe more sophisticated human stories from these things. So I, 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 I think that's better. Me uh, too. Yeah. And, and Godzilla, when the, the original 54, 1954 Godzilla, he was a monster. It was like a, a reaction to the, to the uh, nuclear bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that was their reaction to it. And I thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It was a monster. It was horrible. And then even in Toho productions, they started making Godzilla more friendly and making more of a character, giving him more of a human, anthropomorphic kind of traits. Yeah, And the more they did that, I think the less I liked it. It, it was became comical and, and almost a joke. But yeah. the new version kind of balanced it a little bit more. It's a guardian of Earth. Mm-hmm. So I think it has that that humanity to it, and still it's, a, it's still a tremendous beast. So I, I like the new version of Godzilla and Kong.
0: So when you sat down to write uh, Killer Clowns from Out of Space, and you being a horror fan... Uh, was it a difficult balance to bring in that horror element and also keep it lighthearted at the same time?
1: Uh, it, it, you know, it's interesting. It, I wouldn't say it was difficult, it was just a stream of consciousness. We were just talking about having fun. We followed the beats of the classic sci fi, you know, the uh, teenagers find out that there's an alien race attacking, killing, and. Cutting back and forth between them telling the the, uh, the adults and the cl- clowns killing and it was just building some kind of tension building the, the invasion to its climax and just coming up with gags kills that were interesting and funny and unique so the whole thing was a blast we would just be laughing coming up with stories and uh, uh, you know, we'd say, okay, what, what's a, you know, what, what's a, a a clown gag? Oh, making balloon animals. That's kind of fun. What can we do with a balloon animal? Let's make a dog. Okay, let's have a bloodhound going after them. Uh, so so it was like, it was just a, a, a like a brainstorm session. So it was always fun. Uh, there were things that we wrote in the original screenplay that were cut out, it made the film too big. Mm-hmm, the climax mm-hmm. was really, really big. Multiple, multiple climaxes. And we trimmed it down to one. Uh... But no, I wouldn't describe it as being difficult. I think it was just, like I said,
0: <laughs> five so days a week for four
1: weeks. Hundred, sounds like it. you
0: guys just had a blast writing it and then actually filming it. When it came to the alien aspect of the film, was there any inspirations? Like, for example, you know, War of the Worlds that you drew on? What were your inspirations for the alien aspect of the film?
1: Oh, well, let's see. Um It was a combination of all the films we loved. Uh, Invaders from Mars. Remember how those big, goofy things walk like this? You can see the zippers. That's kind of what I wanted the clowns to be, these big kind of goofy things that were kind of goofy, but they would kill you. Um, There were a lot of sci-fi references. The Power Chamber, where Mike and Debbie see, they realize that they're in a giant spaceship. That's uh, from Forbidden Planet. You know, it was uh, the, the Krell labs down in, in, in the planet. That's where that came from. So it was The Blob, Forbidden Planet, Body Snatchers. Yeah. With the we had cocoons. There was another Corman film, uh, Beast from the Haunted Cave, and even Aliens had people in cocoons, and that's yes. what we got. Not We didn't take it from that, but I think we came up with those ideas, but I know it was influenced by those films that we loved. It was inspiration. Yeah, and even Warner Brothers cartoons. Uh, When Dave the cop goes into the jail cell, uh, that suspenseful scene, and he's looking in the dark, and he sees these footprints all over the wall, all over the ceiling, everywhere. That's from uh, Duck Tracy, a a Looney Tunes cartoon, when Daffy Duck was uh, Dick Tracy. And (laughs) so we thought that was funny, so we put it in. Uh, So, yeah, there's a lot of references. Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes, Mad Magazine, but a lot of sci-fi, 50s
0: sci-fi. That is amazing. That is amazing. Because uh, I was going to say, I mean, often you, s- I mean, there have been a lot of outer space horror movies, alien classic, right there. Uh, then, of course, horror, you know, with clowns on. I think it was just the way it was combined. Uh, it's been done many times since, but it's done like uh, Independence Day, where you have an alien race that comes to earth to annihilate it, take it over take up its resources. Not in the same way where you get these like serial killers dropped on us, you know, from another planet. And that's just part of the part of an aspect that makes killer clowns from out of space unique. I mean, do you agree with that?
1: Oh, I think you've got it. That's it. Exactly. I mean, there's always some kind of an alien invasion and they want to enslave people. Oh, they want to do something. with well, the clowns—they didn't—they—they they just really was zipping by and stopped for a bite to eat. So, mm-hmm. like McDonald's. uh I mean, in fact, we we made purposely did not give them a mission. There was that one scene as they're walking through the funhouse. They're saying, "Oh, maybe they had to do experiments. Or maybe they're doing this and maybe doing that." And really, the the stupidest guy in the movie, one of the terenzi brothers, says, "Well, what if they just stopped for a bite to eat?" Well, that. We left it hanging but that's kind of what it was
0: it's yeah fast food now the 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 makeup the special effects in this film are ahead of its time i would say for 1988 um who did the effects Who did the makeup obviously cgi was not around back in 1988 everything had to be done by practical effects uh who did all that
1: well it was uh it was our company kyoto brothers we we Produced those, but we had a team of a lot of people. We had Dwight Roberts, who was our lead mechanic, who did all the mechanics on the clowns. Uh, Ralph Miller w- uh, was also on the team, and we had a lot of people that were just starting out. Deborah Galvez, who's now doing great hair work, she was working on it. So it was like a, the team of of uh, effects people that we were working with as an effects company. We called in all the favors from all our friends. Uh, Jim Kegel, mm-hmm. uh, one, uh, one of the best sculptors I think in Hollywood, he did all the clowns. Um, we worked with Mark Sullivan, who did our amazing matte paintings. Later, wow, later wow. he went on to ILM. He did all of our matte paintings and fantasy II Film effects, uh, Gene Warren Jr. and uh, Leslie Huntley, they did all of our miniatures and and uh, uh, optical printing. So it really was a team of of the people that That's we a lot with of with. people. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you this. It was the smallest. Of, I think we had $25,000 to do all of these effects. There was no money.
0: Now, was fancy, this, uh, location. was this the first time you've ever worked with something that had so much special effects done? Um, and if it was, what was your reaction as all this makeup was being put on these actors and you're directing and you're seeing all this? What was your reaction to all that?
1: Oh, well, because it was my first time directing something this big, I had done smaller shorts. I was naive. I didn't know. So I wasn't intimidated. I would just wake up and say, okay, what are we going to shoot today? And I would just do it. Knowing what I know now, I think I would have been intimidated. The (laughs) grueling, the complexity, the number of people that are always pulling at you wanting to know something. And it it was pretty good. Um, we were doing six weeks on location up in Santa Cruz, so we were working six days all at night. That was kind of tough. But uh, uh, what was it? Uh, it was a challenge. It was still a low budget film,
0: you know. So when I remember. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was going to ask you when it came time to cast the clowns, the alien clowns, it all had to be physical ca- characteristics beyond looking at a person's how tall they were. How would they come across as a clown? Uh, When they were auditioning, did you have them do anything in particular uh, in order for them to get cast? Well, yes. Yeah.
1: Besides the height requirements, we wanted some small and some really tall. We wanted them to be taller than adults so they would feel like children when they got near the clowns. But we had some auditions and we were looking for acrobats, dancers, people that were really aware of their body movements and would be able to. I think the only direction I really gave was that I wanted them to walk as if the earth had a different gravity. Yeah. So they would walk in slow motion, like the kind of floating, moving through water, let's say. That was the one direction I gave. But beyond that, it was uh, like a, a, a scary mime. You know, what they would do, they would be – I wanted a clean silhouette so we were able to see their actions, especially the shadow gag. I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that they saw his hands were out. And that he was actually doing something so it was really I'm a stop motion animator and I think I was kind of using them as living puppets kind of posing them as to how I wanted them to, to pose and then I let them fill in the actions.
0: So when when you saw the final product were you happy with how the effects and how the clowns the actors how it all came together when you saw the final product.
1: Uh, no, not really. No, it's just as a creative person, you know, I always want to make it better. So yeah. even, I only had a couple of takes on the damn thing. So we go, okay, okay, all right, well, that's all we can do tonight. So let's do some insert shooting later on. We did some insert shooting at our studios after we wrapped. And those shots came out much better. The lighting was better. The performances were better. I was able to focus on it. But when you're cranking through, I think we're doing like six pages a day. Um, it, You know, it's it was a lot of compromises. No. I not, not to diss anybody. We all did our best under the circumstances, but and like any artist, you know, when you, I achieved something then I wanted to make it better. I want to make it better. Let's, let, let, let's try another take and do this. But I, even as a producer, I w- wasn't able to kind of squeak out more time. Oh, a funny story. I did manage when we shot the, the, the clown in the sidecar, uh-huh. the original idea, we actually shot it the first time. Um, it turned out awful. Uh, it, it, we didn't get any light on the background. It was, everything was dark, so it looked like we were on a stage. So it didn't look like we were on a location with a guy on a sidecar next to the car banging into it. It was a really complex mechanical effect. But you didn't get the effect because you didn't see anything but the clown in the car. So I had to speed up the shooting, and I wanted to reshoot that. There was no time, so I sped up shooting all of this other stuff so I could make up a half a day so I could reshoot that so that was the kind of
0: schedule i had that's awesome you know you found a way to make your work and you found a way to re- do it the way you wanted to and it came out great now working with your brothers the kyoto brothers uh you, i mean what's it like working closely with your brothers uh back when you were making the movie and beyond that do you guys get along i'm sure there's some sibling as there is with every siblings you know Some gagging and the older ones picking on the younger ones. What's the relationship like with your brothers?
1: It's pretty much like that. It's any kind of sibling type relationship. It's uh, interesting. We all have our different categories. I mean, uh, I usually write and direct the things. Charlie's our production designer, so he would handle the art direction. And Edward does the mechanical effects, but also works as our producer, handles all the financing. So we each have our, let's say, area of expertise but we collaborate across all of those different things. And like any kind of creative involvement, there are disagreements and it might get more, how can I say? Personal. More personal <laughs> because we're siblings and we say things that we would never say to other people that we, we lash out at each other. So with that in mind, it's it's just, uh, I mean, if you read the, the, the books about the Warner Brothers, about their relationship, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one guy was chasing the other guy with a knife. We never got that far, but, uh, but it's that kind of stuff. Anybody who has uh, siblings would realize that, you know, we, we have, we're similar enough because of our background that we talk a similar language, we understand each other, but then we're three distinct personalities that have different points of view that we bring to the table.
0: And I think it's great that you guys share the same passion, and that's films. I think that's awesome, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. and we try to bring that kind of relationship with our crew as well. It's a big family thing. <coughs> Yeah. Try to, we do this because we enjoy doing it. This is fun for us. It's a form of play. We made films when we were little kids, 10 and 12 years old, making monster
0: movies. And for us, it was a form of play. Yeah, and, and we want to continue and, that. And there's nothing better to take that play and passion from a young child and turn it into a career. That's, that's the real fun part. Now, yeah. there have been some, of course, tidbits for any movie that's been out as long as this has. Like, for example, there's a rumor that the cocoon jeep in the film was sprayed with Pam to keep it from being damaged. Is there any truth to that? Yes, and there's more to the story.
1: Let's hear yeah, it. We had um, rubber cement cobwebs being made, which has like an active solvent in it. So our effects guy told us, "Let's we'll spray the interior of the jeep with the uh, Pam, which will be the barrier, so it won't really." bite into it well this was a a rented a, a rented jeep for the night and the pam was not the proper barrier so this rubber cement paint ate into the fiberglass top of the jeep ruined the upholstery ruined the top so this free vehicle that we got we were saving so much money because we got this for free when we were actually we took it to another dealership got it fixed, and then returned it to <laughs> to the place that we kind of got it from. And I think it costs us like two grand to fix it. So our free vehicle costs us two grand. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, if people are interested, listen to the commentary on, on the DVD. It's probably the, the it's funnier than the movie. We go into all the horror stories of making that film. It's pretty entertaining.
0: <laughs> I gotta watch that. Now, is Killer Clowns from Outer Space besides DVD and blu-ray i would think uh available on any streaming platforms for people to watch
1: oh yes yes it's on oh i don't know which ones it might be on netflix it's on i think it might be on prime awesome but it's on it's on one or two of the streaming
0: services nice nice uh because there have been some movies uh that i grew up watching in the late 70s and in the 80s That have disappeared. And I think it's so sad. You can't find them anywhere today. So unless you have an old uh, uh, VHS copy, it's not even on DVD or Blu-ray. And I think that's so sad that some films get lost to time. Uh, Luckily, that did not happen with Killer Clowns. It's as popular today as it ever was. But how does it make you feel that some movies are lost to time altogether?
1: Oh, it's, it's very upsetting because um, I, I like to watch them. I, I really like watching those old black and white films and the 80s films. It's a, that's a, that was a magic time for us in Hollywood, making those kind of pictures. Um, but I think uh, 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 Amazon Prime has a great collection. If you yeah. dig really deep, they've got a good collection of stuff.
0: And Killer um, Clowns uh, is actually playing on Cinemax this month. You know, at various times throughout the month, but that's—I mean—right there, it's playing on Cinemax, the cable satellite channel, uh, for people to watch. I mean, that right there shows you how this movie has endured the test of time and is as popular as it ever has been. Oh, I'm—I'm I'm
1: surprised. We're—we're we're asked to attend screenings all over the country. Uh, I think even in England. I think uh, Grant and Suzanne. Or going to a convention and they're showing the film, it's uh they're showing it all the time, midnight movies or special screenings and yeah uh, I I yeah I I, I can't. It blows demag- your
0: mind. It blows your mind. Uh, do you get asked to go to conventions and it's just not your thing? Do you do conventions? Uh, tell us about that. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, there's a a very good. Convention here in Los Angeles. Uh, Elliot. Uh, I forget his last name. Elliot. Uh, uh, Monsterpalooza. Okay. Oh, yeah. Here in Los Angeles. Uh, we, we used to go to that all the time. It's great. We love seeing the fans. We're just really uh, blown away by the fans. Um, there was a screening of our film in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And something I always wanted to do. I wanted to create a live shadow gag. So I did some animation and we projected it and we had a clown actually miming that he was creating a shadow that was being projected up there and we had uh oh the hula girl the dinosaur and even had king kong on the empire state building as part of the shadow uh it was a lot of fun to bring that element into the live venue.
0: that is so awesome so let's go to like right now today is your biggest ambition right now to try to get the sequel done to Killer Clowns from Outer Space?
1: Oh, it's, 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 it's an, an ambition. It's just something I'd like to do. It's not the biggest one. I mean, it's, it's kind of intimidating in some ways. Can we, uh, would the audience be happy with the sequel or a remake or something? Can we get lightning in a bottle again? So it's kind of intimidating. Can we do it again? The audience's expectations, what they want it to be and what it could be is a challenge. But we have so many other ideas that we pitch. Uh, the, the, uh, fantastic ideas, great movie ideas, great TV show ideas that we're still trying after all these years, trying to get uh, Never give up. But I'll tell you this. It's, it's almost like the 80s again. Like in the 80s, they were funding these films for the new media, which was VHS. Yeah. Well, now we have these streaming giants, these guys competing for streaming. So you've got Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and Apple, and they are now funding films from a variety of new talent. So, so like again, another gold rush, that mm-hmm. there are these great opportunities, a, a need for content for a new distribution network. So, it really is the best time since I think the '80s to get new product
0: out there because of the need. Absolutely, and let me ask you that—you know—sort uh, of touch on that subject. Because of COVID, uh, the entertainment industry was forced to do something a lot quicker uh, than they were ready for. And that everything was moving to digital streaming. It was obvious. It was plain as day. COVID really sped that up. And now the problem is you have all these different networks with their own streaming service uh, and their own fees. Obviously, subscribers are not going to pay for each and every one of them. And they even have a name for it. They call it subscriber fatigue. Uh, So I called it a while ago saying there's going to have to be mergers. There's going to have to be some combinations to combine all these things together into an affordable payment where people only need to subscribe to maybe two, maybe three services. Because if you, you know, it's sad that just because a movie or show is on a a service that you're not paying for, you can't watch it. What do you think about that? Do you agree with that moving forward, that Hollywood, um, when it comes to the streaming aspect of things, is going to have to find a way to consolidate?
1: Oh, I think they will. It'll go back to what the business has typically been, like the networks. You always had three major networks. Mm -hmm. Then you had some major studios and distributors. I think it will. Right now we're seeing... Again, it's like the gold rush. Everybody's creating their own content, creating their own streaming services to create their library. But then Disney, Netflix, and some of the big players, maybe even Apple, that might be the big three. And what they're going to do is they're going to buy Prime. They're going to buy these other places, and they'll package them as as part of their network. So I think what these smaller ones are doing, they're creating a library that can then be sold because they're not going to be able to compete. Uh, That's my
0: deal. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. The, the smaller companies are going to be bought up by the bigger companies. And it will be, like you said, the three major networks like we had back in the eighties, you know, CBS, NBC, ABC, uh, and
1: yo, showtime, you know, remember the ca- first cable networks yeah. showtime and HBO and then maybe Cinemax maybe, uh, yeah, but the rest were just small, small
0: little, I I've got one that you probably, I don't know if you've heard of this, uh, Cable did not come to Queens till 1987. I remember the exact year uh, because as a, as a kid, I was 17, I know 13 in 1987 and I was longing for Cable to come to Queens. It didn't come until 1987. Uh, So I was very ecstatic when Cable finally uh, came to my, you know, it was available in Manhattan, just not in Queens. There was a service called w h t what it was uh it was a box that you had installed in your home and it only ran from like eight o'clock at night to like three or four o'clock in the morning and that was the only outlet we had for watching anything that was not broadcast over the air uh w h t was eventually bought by h b o okay mm but i'm surprised cuz we had this installed in my home that a lot of people don't remember uh wht and i think it's called so it was uh, the letters were like world home theater or something like that but mm-hmm. i'm just you know recounting stories because people nowadays like we said are just so overwhelmed with content there was a time where we were starving for content and i was i can you know raise my hand to that aspect
1: well i i didn't realize that because i mean that was when mtv started comedy central started and i mean we i was in los angeles at the time not, yeah. 1981 and we were watching mtv
0: and, no, and no. cable, cable it, did not come to queen's it was available in manhattan It did not come to Queens till the summer of 87. I remember exactly. That's how much of a, I was uh, waiting for it to come. And yep, summer of 1987, finally cable television came to my area in Queens. So yeah. Yeah. Before that, we were just starving for content. I remember staying up late hours in the night. We didn't have MTV. There was Friday night videos where you could watch music videos so, man, you know, just how much the world has changed in the last 30 years or so. You know, before we go, uh, what is your feeling in, to you know, in regard to today's horror? Do you like horror movies today? Uh, if so, is there a particular subgenre in horror that you particularly like more than the others?
1: Uh yeah there are some I there are some I think are really great like it follows mm-hmm. I thought it's a fantastic film I mean it takes the you know um uh all those slasher films when kids were having sex you know they would they, they would get uh killed by Mike Myers or somebody but now the act of sex is the, is what it causes the monster I thought it was brilliant and Boba Duke I thought was great Yeah But uh, and and uh, I always loved uh James Gunn's film his Slither remember Slither I mean that that's so I just love that
0: film. Awesome. Awesome. But I'm
1: always attracted to uh, comedy, the Tucker and Dale versus evil. (laughs) I, I love
0: that film. Did you like the Evil Dead 2, which took a very serious, scary movie, which was the original Evil Dead, and then Evil Dead 2 came out, and they threw in that comedic element with Bruce Campbell and all that?
1: I I think so. That work to me that's it's a, a great balance. Sam Raimi does really great work. Even in his scary films, there is this kind of comedy to it, this absurdity to it. And I think in subsequent versions of Evil Dead, he kind of played into it with the characters more. I mean Bruce Campbell is just it's just he's, just, he's yeah. just great. So uh yeah, I I like that because when I go to the movies, I want the full spectrum of emotions. I want to be I want it to be a great love story, a great action film, a comedy, and a horror film and a suspense film. I think a good film should kind of touch all of those bases in one way or another.
0: Absolutely. For me, my fav- one of my favorite horror comedies, it has to be Return of the Living Dead. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't have a favorite, but, you know, when you ask me what's one of your favorite top horror comedies, Uh, that's just one of the movies that comes to my mind. And it's funny because I attended a convention last weekend and we got to meet the writer of Return of the Living Dead. So that was a lot of fun. Stephen, we're out of time. This hour just flew by. Oh, Uh, wow. I had so much fun talking to you and recounting stories. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Are there any final thoughts you want to share? Oh,
1: no. I, I say keep watching the skies. You never know when the clowns are going to come back. But yeah. I want to thank you for inviting me um, and my helping clowns out there because there will be more clowns coming in the future. I don't know where or when. but well, They will. Be-
0: they absolutely will. I want to thank my guest for tonight, Stephen Kyoto. Thank you to my audience for tuning in. Uh, have a great night. Till next time, on behalf of Stephen and myself, stay safe. Stay walking, guys. Good night. <music>